So, what's your favorite Rucker Howard C. Thomas Howell movie? The remake of the Poseidon Adventure? What? No. Hi, I'm O. And this is L. And welcome to Cutthroat Cinema Podcast. Let's talk about The Hitcher. Good idea. So, uh, forewarned, this is going to be a Rutger Hauer love fest. We are both big fans of this movie and big, big fans of Rutger Hauer. Huge um, man crush on for oh. Rutger Hauer. Yeah, beautiful. Sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's uh, a beautiful man. R- Rutger Hauer in his prime. I mean, even as an old man, let's be fair. Yes. <laughs> Um, this movie is, um, probably one of my favorite cult classic movies. I feel like it doesn't get nearly the enough, the amount of appreciation of other cult horror thriller movies, you know, that you've seen coming up more and more recently. I've barely seen, um, reviews about it. I've barely seen anything about it, but you know, it is a recent discovery for us as well, though. We only watched it in 2019 and it's now 2020. Yeah. Um, considering... We've been horror fanatics our whole life. The Hitcher didn't really come on our radar until... I mean, I've always wanted to watch it. and I've known about it for a few years. FYI, Ellen, myself, are brother and sister. So our whole lives is literally our whole lives together. Uh, we <laughs> I raised her. <laughs> it's true. Um, so we've always been huge fans of horror movies. Obviously, I became a fan because he would watch me and force me to watch horror movies. So, you know, by proxy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we really only recently discovered not Rucker Hauer. We kind of always had him in our minds from things we had seen when we were younger, Blade Runner, um, and you know, from a few years back, the Dark Knight uh, uh trilogy. He was in the first Batman Begins. He was in the first movie Batman Begins. Um, but yeah, this movie is really, um, is really, Lady s- Hawk, <laughs> Nighthawks is what you're thinking. No. And Lady Hawk. Was he in both? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. So <laughs> he's the knight that turns into a wolf at night and what's a face turns into a hawk. What's her fa- Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I was unaware of that. Thank you for letting me. <laughs> wow. You didn't see Lady Hawk. I've never seen, like, I've seen Nighthawks. No. no. Yeah. All right, well, now I have an extra uh, Rucker Howard movie oh to watch. God. I've <laughs> never seen Lady Hawk. I just haven't. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so getting a little bit into this movie, um, of course, Rutger Hauer uh, is the uh, serial killer, John Ryder. You know, a little on the nose with the name Ryder. Yeah, I'm sure it's a um, fake name. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. You know, he could have called himself John Hitchhiker. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't <laughs> Or John that. Killer. Yeah. I mean, he could have been easily Lucifer, so thank God they didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> Okay, they're uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Yeah, uh, angel Heart. <laughs> little Angel Heart reference for you uh, <laughs> for you De Niro fans out there. That was a pretty good movie, too. Was um, it? Yeah, you never seen it? I actually haven't. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Pretty Showing messed up. But how many how many movies I haven't actually seen, so now yeah. I'm getting embarrassed. So yeah. let's move on from that. That was uh, Mickey Rourke before his face got rearranged, uh, I think. By, uh, by the surgeons or by the boxers? Probably both. both. Yeah, okay. yeah. But, uh... I don't know if you know that, but the movie was actually based on a song by The Doors. Was um, it? Yeah, called uh, Riders in the Storm. Riders on the Storm? Riders right. in, Riders on, something like that. Okay. But um, yeah. oh, which that's was based cool. on a hitchhiking killer. So. Sure. Okay. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. yeah. We take inspiration from anywhere we can get it, I guess. Yeah, sure. I mean, if uh, if 
I think if Aerosmith can get inspiration for Dude Looks Like a Lady from seeing Vince Neil walk down the street, I don't see why. <laughs> I don't see why they can't take a song and turn it into a horror movie. It's actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea, pretty good project for any of you new writers out there. Pick a song, turn it into a movie. You're welcome. Sure, sure. <laughs> so let's get into a little bit about this movie. There's very little fat in regards to what is and isn't wasted. There's... There's no, no subplot. There, there's no subplots. There's no subplots. There's really no pacing issues. It's a it's a tight movie, and beautifully shot. I mean, beautiful movie. Yeah, yes. the, the cinematography is fantastic. The scenery. I think they shot most of the movie like California and in Nevada, Death Valley. Yeah. Um, the desert shots are fantastic. Yeah. The um, cinematographer was um, John Seely, I think it was, or something like that. Beautiful movie. Fantastic. Just very well made. The director was Robert Harmon, and he was a first-time director, I think, when he did this movie, if I remember correctly. And he had mentioned, I think, uh, he had done, like... A short. Or maybe a like short. That. Yeah, or yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like and that. uh, that's actually how they got uh, Rutger Hauer onto the role, I, I think, because uh, originally they had Sam Elliott up until, like, almost the, the 11th hour, and then he dropped out. Sam Elliott or yeah, was it Sam Elliott? Sam or Sam? Yeah, yeah, Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah, Sam Elliott. Yeah, he dropped out at the last minute. At the last minute, yeah. but I mean, don't get me wrong, love me some Sam Elliott. Hello, Roadhouse. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I very much loved Rutger Hauer's performance in this. I mean, the man is terrifying in this movie. The moment he gets into the car and and see Thomas Howe, who you know is is. Nothing to joke about in the movie too. I think a lot of the reviews had uh, had had him as like oh mediocre or stuff like that. But he, I enjoyed his performance in it. And uh, the moment he lets uh, Rutger Hauer's character of John Ryder into this car, he knows he messed up. Yeah, like there's no response when he asks him questions. The staring at him pressing his leg when they drive past the car who had passed them up earlier, which I only got on my fourth or fifth view of this movie. I didn't notice that at the start. Not getting in the car when he's asked, making up excuses, laughing. Yeah, well, he opens the door, and then he's like, I think I'm just going to stay yeah, here. Yeah, I think I'm going to um, sit here. And Yeah. He realizes when he takes out the knife and he puts it to his eye, and he tells him, he tells um Jim, say, repeat these words, I want to die, and then Jim throws him out of the car. Like, the challenge has been accepted, so yeah. to speak, that he's going to go after this kid and, like, torture him, basically. Yeah. Change him. You you kind of get the impression from the movie, and, oh, by the way, spoilers. Um, <laughs> you get the impression from the movie that uh, Rucker Hauer is tired of killing. Like, in the movie, the, the character of John Ryder is maybe tired of killing, is looking for someone to finish him off and when he was able to survive and like actually like get him out of the car and stuff like that he he took advantage of it i think that really solidifies the movie the beginning of the movie you yeah, know I, I don't know if he's so tired of killing in general i think he's tired of living but like yeah. himself but May, that maybe the better state is yeah, yeah but maybe he doesn't have like the the will to kill himself or the courage to kill himself. So he wants someone else to do it for him. Well, truth I be mean, told, I think even Rutger Hauer had, uh, had said that in an interview once he had said, you know, the character is looking, is, is a coward essentially in that he's 
unwilling to take his own life, but is looking for. But we'll take. You we'll know, take other countless uh, other lives yeah, with in no search remorse. of the, yeah. the person to take him out. Correct. Yes. I mean, there are so many little moments in this movie where I'm again. C. Thomas Howell was good in this movie, and yeah, we'll get to his performance. He was, he was only eighteen years old. Yeah, he was a kid. Yeah, you know, um, he was a kid working like, with Rucka Howard, like yeah, who's who's already pretty established at that point. You know, didn't Nighthawks come out before that? And he was like the best part of that movie. No offense to Stallone, but I don't think it's yeah, really. Billy D. Williams and Stallone in that movie were yeah. were good. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't mean, know if they were even that good. Yeah, uh, Rucka Howard really. Uh, I mean, he's <laughs> He stole the show from yes, under them. Let's let's be honest. Yes. Um, <laughs> what I noticed from this movie is the subtlety uh, of Rutger Hauer's performance in almost every single you know scene, like the 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 lack of commentary from him, the maniacal laugh. You know, um, I think at one point you had mentioned how you almost feel like his performance is what. Christopher Nolan might have wanted for the Joker and like maybe taking um, taking from that performance, Heath Ledger kind of just amped it up by 20 for like, obviously, because it has to be for the Joker. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like it, which is which is funny, too, because then we realize afterwards that um, Rucka Howard was in Batman Begins yeah. um, <laughs> after so we had that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely feel John Ryder is kind of in a way uh psychotic maniacal but comma version of Heath Ledger's Joker you know I know I've heard of the things that Nolan took you know Heath Ledger and Nolan took inspiration from Joker from other um characters and stuff like that but John Ryder Rucka Howard's character is psychotic um you know there's we'll talk about scenes later on um involving um Jennifer Jason Lee's Nash and stuff and giving um you know the choice to Tommy Howell you know see Thomas Howell you know, and just tormenting him and trying to break him. But, um, yeah, I definitely feel um, Rucka Hauer, in a way, was probably some sort of inspiration for Christopher Nolan's The Joker. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that. Do you want to go into, like, some of your favorite parts for the movie? Well, well, well um, what I wanted to talk about before we get into all that was um, specifically a little bit later on in the movie. Well, I... Let, let me be fair here. We've talked and gushed about Rodger Hauer for <laughs> the, the first part of this, uh, the first part of this podcast uh, episode. But let's talk a little bit about C. Thomas Howell. A lot of reviews that we had read were sort of negative about the movie. Uh, notoriously, uh, Siskel and Ebert were not fans of horror in general. I know they gave they never were. Yeah, they they may have given some horror movies a decent review, but nothing really great. And this movie they did not like, not one bit. Um both thumbs down, both zero stars, however they wanted to uh to to put it. A lot of the reviews that I had read were in regards to see Thomas Howell's actings, but like like you said, actings. Uh like you said, uh he was 18 at the time and he was working with you know, Rutger Hauer, who was, you know, beyond his years in acting, he was amazing. But if you look at the entire premise of the movie, you know, they're like, oh, he's like a uh, weak and like weird and he's twitchy. I think one, one of them even called him twitchy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. But if you're being like stalked by someone who, you know, was just trying to kill you, uh, someone who, you know, is killing people to get to you. Yeah. Yeah, you might be a little twitchy yourself. Yeah. I don't think there's a. I think there's a lot of realism in the movie, and uh, I think that's a 
a big part of the reason that it didn't do as well for a lot of critics because they thought it was gruesome in its realism. In fact, uh, Shades, can we actually pull up one of the reviews from Siskel and Ebert? Do you want the bad one or the really bad one? Uh, let's start with the bad one and tell me who it's from, Siskel or Ebert. They're, and both, then they're both equally terrible. Okay, go ahead. Gene Siskel wrote for the Chicago Tribune. He said, a nauseating thriller that reaches down from the screen and defies you to stay in the theater to see what desecration of the human body it will present next. That's fun. And what's the other one? <laughs> what's the other one, yeah. Roger Ebert had written for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he said, on its own terms, this movie is diseased and corrupt. I would have admired it more if it had found the courage to acknowledge the real relationship it was portraying between Howell and Rutger. But no, it prefers to disguise itself as a violent thriller, and on that level, it is reprehensible. So I like how they talk about how violent it is and disgusting and disturbing it is. Yet, what I think a lot of them fail to realize um, is that the violence is really not visible for most of the scenes in the movie it's all left to your imagination in fact i think if i remember correctly i know i just watched it the other day but the only real violent shots that you see are when he shoots the police through the car windshield yeah i think a lot of the other scenes happen all off screen one is like yeah the the whole movie i mean it feels violent yeah well i mean it's a technically it is like you know it's a very it's violent in implication, not in execution. Yes, it's it's got great moments where a lot of it is completely left up to your imagination. If you haven't seen the movie, one obviously we recommend. Two, <laughs> uh, there is a lot of implied violence in the movie. Uh, one of the more, if you've heard about the movie in the past, one of the more notorious scenes that you might have heard about is in fact the uh, truck scene where um, I guess the love interest slash sidekick to C. Thomas Howell's oh, character, yeah, um, they're, they're Nash, played by Jennifer Jason they're, 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 Their relationship is they're, they're on the run together. They're on the run together, yes. right, after mm-hmm. she saves him from some cops who think that he killed uh, the cops that get killed early in the movie. The problem with that scene that everybody seems to have is, like, how could you kill that a uh, little girl how could you i think even the cinematographer at one point during was one of the interviews from with, with some by someone saying i can't believe you 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 filmed that violent scene yeah uh yeah. and and he's like there was no he goes you didn't see anything she he she was insistent no i saw that little girl get torn apart mm-hmm. i mean you closed your eyes is yeah. is what he told her like you close you must have closed your eyes and whatever you thought in your head is what you saw, right? Which mm-hmm. is always twenty times worse than what anything could actually be put on screen. Uh, of course, the reality of that being the Hitcher remake, which uh, showed that apparently. Uh, I have not seen the movie, but I heard it was mediocre at best. Yeah, so I actually have no desire to see it. I um, I really don't. Um, I don't like Sean Bean, but yeah, um, no, I like most of the actors that were in that movie. I just I didn't care to watch it when it originally came out. Because I had heard about the original anyway, and I was like, well, if I was going to watch that, I'll watch the original first. Mm-hmm. And then, what, 10 years later, I think that m- the remake came out in like 2006 or something like that, and then we I eventually so. watched it. Uh, we watched the original, 
Mm-hmm. I, I have no, I have no desire to see. Yeah, movie. I have no interest I, in seeing it. I would only see it for scientific purposes. <laughs> research, research, research. Yeah. compare, compare, contrast. Maybe, maybe one day when we'll do a remake, uh, compare and contrast, original to remake. What I got a lot from this movie was um, one of my favorite John Carpenter movies is Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Fantastic movie. Fantastic. If you have not seen it, please take the time, find it, watch it. You will be better off for it. The the reality is that that movie had a remake also in the 2000s. I can't remember if it was the early 2000s or not. And I remember watching the remake before I even knew it was a remake. I just thought yeah. it was a new movie called Assault on Precinct 13. I remember liking it when I saw it in theaters. I think you and I saw it in theaters. Yeah, we together. did. Because, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't tell you a thing about that movie. Except for what happens to one character, because it's pretty horrific. But that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked by that scene. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Right? I was like, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original Assault on Precinct Thirteen. The reason this gives me that feel is because of the same kind of reasoning. It was implied violence that, that they do show a little bit more in terms of people getting hurt and people getting shot and killed uh, in that movie, but there's this overwhelming sense of violence that you get from beginning to end for that movie. And and the soundtrack, truthfully, too, certain scenes when they're driving, uh, when Jim Halsey's in the car with Nash, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, and um, C. Thomas Howell, obviously, uh, they are playing a soundtrack, and it sounds very familiar, and it gives me the vibe of John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. The, the score for this the movie was score. fantastic. Also. Yeah, the score yeah. was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I, there's really not a lot to complain about with this movie. There are so many movies I've seen where it takes 20 minutes to introduce the main character and then introduce the killer mm-hmm. and then give a motivation and then this and then that. And it's re- it's a short runtime. I think one of the reviews I read complained that there was no motivation for the killer. Yes. Like, why I do I need motivation for the killer? Why do I right? Is did how did Mike? I mean, eventually Michael Myers had a motivation, but let's not talk about those. In the first <laughs> Halloween movie, <laughs> in the first Halloween movie, he doesn't have a motivation. He's just driven to kill. It's the unconscious mind. The unconscious, unconscious mind. mind. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought that was motivation enough, but um, guess yeah, not. I guess not. I I just don't understand like why um, killers need a uh, motivation to kill. Um, and why a critic would be upset about it. Yeah, anyway, the score is fantastic for the movie, and it just adds to all the wonderful things about this movie. Yeah, it really it really is incredible. Even the even the minor characters, the uh, the guy who played the sheriff, oh my God, it, it helps. God help me, I can never remember his name. He was in The Blob. He was Dale from The Walking Dead. You know who I'm talking about. He was in this movie for maybe three, four minutes total runtime. Like he, you know, he's, he gets Jim after the whole, um, run in scene with Nash and the trucks. And then he's at the police station and then he's driving Jim just before the end of the movie. And that's it. Um, I do want to touch back a little bit on the, on the violence, uh, in this movie. Uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, Jeffrey DeMunn is his name. Couldn't remember it. Thanks. Um, so the, the thing I wanted to touch a touch on a little bit more about the movie was the violence, right? The lack of violence, all of that. Not the lack of violence, but the lack of actual violence being showed is 
incredible. Like you are you are telling me like Siskel and Ebert hated this movie because it's so violent. It's I think even someone called it gory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wh- whereas you know twenty twenty standards, this ain't gory. No. It's mm-hmm. it's violent and in, again I I know I've said it like four hundred times, but it's violent in implication. You see, you don't. He describes what he did to the previous driver. Yeah, he cut his legs off. And cut <laughs> his head off and yeah. his arms off. The the family with the kids in the car. Yeah, just that's... Blood, just blood dripping out of the blood car. Blood dripping and, like, Jim's reaction of, like, being horrified and puking. Right. Later on, you don't even know what happened to the couple that picked Ryder up yeah. uh, after he steals their dead. car. They're dead. <laughs> you know they're dead, yeah. but, like... Mm-hmm. And then right. it's all off screen. It's all off screen. Mm-hmm. You either only see part of the aftermath or you see just the aftermath, like the cops in the uh, offices. They're cut down. They're shot. They have their slit but even that it's just like it's a nothing intense you know yeah, you 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 find out they're dead like that jim dreams and in his dream uh rider like knocks on his window but it's gunshots and then he wakes up from that and then you know they're dead he goes to he goes to open his you know jail cell and it's like or he goes to just push on his jail cell and, and then he realizes open. it's open yeah mm-hmm. it's uh it's so subtle in its terror mm-hmm. you know there are so many good scenes where seeing thomas Howe really really shows how like desperate he is and the situations he's found himself in really not you know not afraid to to show how terrified he is you know yeah. he's a young kid i think the location also helps with that uh, i don't know about you but the location in general about like the desert, right? He's an 18-year-old kid. Well, you're assuming he's the same age as he is in the movie, right? right but right. who knows? Mm-hmm. He could be 25 in the movie. But he's by himself. He's by himself on a road trip from Chicago to California. And he's alone. He has no one in the car. The only reason he ended up picking up the hitchhiker, as he explains later on in the movie, is because he wants someone to help him stay awake. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know you're entrusting someone you've never met and like the mo- and again the moment Rutger Harris steps into the car Jim and you as the audience know he messed up yeah he's effed he's screwed he's completely mm-hmm. screwed he's he's terrified um apparently the scene where um Rutger Hauer like flips his knife out and like holds it to his eye and asks him you know what happens to a human eye when you puncture it uh that was improvised and see Thomas Howe's like hey man don't poke me in the freaking eye with that thing. yeah because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was genuinely terrified of being cut yeah. so the well, terror on his face when you work with uh Rukahawa, that's what you get <laughs> you get what you get <laughs> just be happy uh he doesn't actually stab you for get messing up your lines but rucker Howe always seemed like a, a sweetheart no, and a genuine uh, uh, dude. thomas Howe said he was ecstatic to work with him yeah you know so. Re- rest in peace yeah. poor poor man mm. um but yeah he's he's truly um he's truly the best part of the, um, let's be honest, the best part of most movies he's in. Yes. <laughs> so Blind Fury, a great movie. Blind Fury is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, Rutger Hauer is a blind ninja. An, a Samurai yeah. ninja. Yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's a blind uh, veteran of war, isn't Vietnam, he? Uh, yeah, Vietnam vet. Right. They, yeah, yeah. they like help him recover after he's blinded and then they teach him their ways. And it's very interesting and very... Um, little silly but like worth it yeah. totally like maybe 80s cheese but just enough to get right. you by right and george lucas stole uh phantom uh the scene for phantom menace from, from it movie. yes what what scene 
when uh, Darth Maul gets sliced in half, when Obi Wan Kenobi jumps over him and slices him in half. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how it did that. That, that makes <laughs> 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 that makes way more sense. Okay, that's awesome. So, part of our segment for Cutthroat Cinema Podcast is uh, our cuts. So, what we talk about in this portion of the episode is. Things we liked about the movie, uh, what didn't make the cut, you know, um, who we who we thought or what we thought was a cut above, and uh, finally our prime cuts. Um, so let's start from the top, and L, let's get your perspective here. What didn't make the cut, or what would you cut out of the movie if you could have? I wouldn't have cut anything out of the movie. I think the movie kicks off right from the start, like the minute the movie starts, boom, everything just flows i enjoyed everything about it i didn't think anything was wasted from the moment it starts till the ending of it where you know rucket howard meets his demise and the credits start rolling and see thomas howell just lights up and is smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> and the credits are just rolling and you're just seeing him smoking laying on the leaning on the truck it's just a fantastic ending to the movie I enjoyed everything about it. I didn't think anything needed to be cut out of the film. I uh, so I mean, yeah, I I can definitely agree with you there. There's there's very very little fat in this movie. It is it is a prime cut. <laughs> Get it? Anyway, um, see what you did there. I see what I did there. Uh, but it's a very good movie. Uh, there was one. It wasn't even an issue. It was it's more of a nitpick if I'm being a hundred percent honest. Um, the scene where he's been caught by the cops and he's brought to the jail cell and he goes to sleep and he has that dream. The one you mentioned earlier where then they, he knocks on the window and it's the three gunshots. The only reason my, I have that nitpick is cause it just happened 20 minutes earlier in the movie. Like the scene where he pulls over to let Ryder into the car just happened. We don't, we obviously know this kid is haunted. Like he, the stuff he's seen already, the, what he's been through, almost being run over, almost being set on fire, almost being stabbed. Like, there's no way this kid isn't traumatized. What I think that maybe they could have done, a l not even necessarily better, but maybe different, you know, I know the gunshots and the original dreams sequence are supposed to give you a clue as to what happened outside, but, you know, seeing Ryder maybe invade the jail cell where Jim is sleeping and him waking up thinking he's there in the jail cell with him and then realizing he's not and must have been like, oh, it's just a dream. And then he pushes on the on the jail cell door and it opens because that would essentially lead to the same thing. I didn't need to see what happened 20 minutes ago again. But again, more of a nitpick, not really a major issue with the movie. Um, but I did, you know, for the most part, really only think of that. Maybe one other thing was the conversation between Nash and her dad later on when they're in the hotel room. It's supposed to be some sort of implication that, like, that's how Ryder finds them. But he's, like, basically already there when... Uh, no, I think it was, wasn't it more... I thought that was more for the, the cops to maybe find them. Well, the I mean, he made a big show about, like, tying her up and stuff like that mm -hmm. and leaving her there. I'm assuming whoever was already there in their trucks called the cops. Yeah, I, I'm... To me, it was like they probably knew who she was. The cops were already, like, at the father's house recording... Uh, tracing them to see where they were um no matter what they were gonna find them okay like, oh you know to that's me, a good it was point like it was gonna culminate no matter what yeah there yeah so we whether 
whether Ryder found them or the cops had yes. found them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. Actually, one other thing that it's not really a nitpick. It's actually not really in any of these categories, but it took me a little while to get it. Like we said earlier, this movie is very realistic and very non-supernatural in that like yeah he keeps catching up to him but he's not taking shots to the head he's not getting beaten or anything like that Ryder keeps catching up to Jim but it doesn't ever feel supernatural it just feels like he's a nice looking dude and we can just give him a ride and then he just kills people and gets gets by like that at one point after he finds the bodies of the family in that car he goes to a gas station to look for help and then the second he gets in looks at the phone realizes it's not working he turns around and Ryder's right there. And I'm like, really? They're going to like make him non-supernatural for this whole movie? And then, you know, he just pops up out of nowhere. I didn't realize that he was probably hiding in his car the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> he was a possibility. He was you doing know? That. But I mean, I think in the movie, like cause I think some of the criticisms was that he was like, is he supernatural? I don't think it really matters. I think just the point of the movie is that you know that that's not the point like yeah. the, the story is that he's after him like yeah. it, it, it's meant to that this killer is gonna get him no matter what and you know we're not meant to think of it supernatural but yeah like he he's and i think the scene where he's in the car with the family he kind of pops out of the trunk with the and with the little girl is meant to show you that he can hide in the trunk he can hide you know like, hide anywhere yeah and in fact I think some of the promotional works as like looking your backseat, you know, yeah. the hitchers there. So like, oh, that makes sense. Yes, I can absolutely believe like he just hopped in the back of his car because I think in a scene when he's in the gas station, he had already gone in his car in um, Jim's car and tossed Plan- in his keys. Right. And well, planted the knife. He planted the knife yeah, at some point. So yeah, it must have been in that time between finding the body of the families and tossing right. him the keys to the car so before he, he, he shows that he can go in and out of his car, that he's manipulative, that he's sneaky, that he's, you know, which was a great scene, by the way, when he just pops up in the gas station and shakes his keys and throws them at yeah. him. You and assume he's, he's got him cornered. You assume he's down for the count and then he just leaves. Mm-hmm. And you and know it's to torture him. Like, yeah. you know, he's not going to just let him leave and let him go. Yeah. And he just mm-hmm. goes outside and he hitches another ride in that sandstorm, you yeah. know, um, which, I don't know if you know this, they did that with giant fans and they blew some sort of dust, which is illegal now because it causes, like... Yeah, it, get, it gets caught in your lungs. Yeah, it causes, like, lung cancer and stuff like that. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> not good. No. <laughs> the For me, the next category, a cut above, and I, I feel like we're going to agree on this. A, the cut above is a Rucker Hauer. <laughs> yeah. Rucker Hauer is the cut above. He is fantastic in every single scene. He is by and far, I mean, like I said, I like see Thomas Howell in the movie. Jennifer Jason Lee is good in the movie, but Rucker Hauer could not be more eloquent, like in the few times he does speak more charismatic in the few times he does like get by, get away. And like the few minutes that you do trust him, I mean, Go ahead. I can't gush about him enough, but you uh, can go I, ahead. I could definitely say the for me the cut above has got to be the 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 stunt work, the, the the car chasing, the helicopter scene, the explosions. That's for me like fantastic work, and that was and I don't know if you noticed a lot of it like Rucka Howard. I mean, you want to talk about cut above? He did like all his driving scenes, even the scene with him driving through the 
um, garage door and driving over the gas thing um, at the gas station before it got blown up. All of the stunt work was phenomenal, fantastic. Like every scene, like that that movie is like groundwork for like realistic stunt choreography. Like oh, absolutely fantastic. The <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention about Rucker Hauer, Rucker Hauer has a smile that can convey so many different emotions. There are so many scenes where he's outright laughing maniacally or just smirking it is perfection in every scene he like knows which smile to pull out to get the most reaction out of the audience and most reaction out of his um you know uh protagonist character jim halsey the last little bit we like to talk about is uh our prime cuts so what these are are our top three uh scenes from the movie overall so like really the best of the best. Now, the, again, uh, we, we've gushed about this movie quite a bit, but the best scenes in this movie for me have to be, um, well, one honorable mention, since we were already talking about Rucker Hauer and his stunt work, the car chase with the cops where he's shooting down the helicopter and smiling and laughing while he's doing it and confusing the hell out of Nash and Jim uh, as to why he's doing it. I know we both thoroughly enjoyed that scene where yeah. he's shooting at the chopper and it's just he brings it down and yeah. smoking a cigarette, smoking, <laughs> smoking a cigarette, laughing, smiling, just being, you know, so cool, even as a complete bastard. He's just great. Um, so that's our honorable mention for that for number. Well, for me, anyway, uh, number three would have to be the scene that C. Thomas Howell improvised, which is uh, when Jim is in the car with the two cops that he kidnaps and they get shot and he runs out of the car and he's screaming and yelling and goes onto the dirt and just like pours dirt on his face and is just so defeated and is like holds the gun up to his chin and is ready to end it because he has no way out of that situation and the sun breaks through. And, uh, you know, a fun little fact about that scene, I'm sure uh, L knows what it is. That scene was actually completely improvised and then the sun coming out was com- obviously completely unplanned because it was a regular um just cloud cover mm. they weren't expecting the clouds to move at that moment it was just one of those serendipitous moments where everything culminated into a great shot what would be your number three i would say my number three scene would be um when See Thomas Howell kicks uh, Rucker Hauer out of the car and just um, he's all super ecstatic that he just kicked a serial killer psychopath out of the car. Just the visual cinematography of like Rucker Hauer just standing up and the camera closing in on him and going under him as he's standing up. And that's a scene where... The weather permitted it to happen because they usually don't get that kind of overcast. It was like grayish, cloudy skies and just happened to work out that way. And I guess I'll go into my number two scene Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime. I'll have to go with your scene also. It's the scene where C. Thomas Howells, which is also another weather permitting scene, 
just looks up right after he pours the dirt on his head and the sun, like the cloud moves and the sun shines on his face. And yeah, that, that scene of him looking up and glaring into the sun was an improvised scene. It was not scripted. And he just goes along with looking at the sun, even though in the script it wasn't there, that the sun's supposed to be shining on his face. Yeah. And he just stares into it. I mean, you have to imagine, like, the, <laughs> the gods must have been looking down on you that day. The movie, the movie gods wanted you to get the best possible scenes. Yeah, the <laughs> shot, you know. Um, yeah, I know he was supposed to, you know, just try to kill him. So, you know, the script said he's just going to put the gun to his face and then... Um, that would be it. And then lo and behold, the cloud moves and the sun shines on him. And he just played it as if that was the way it's supposed to be staring at it, standing up and looking right into it. So it was just a beautiful scene and it just worked. And you just had this like, wow factor, you know? Yeah. So that was my number two. Awesome. So uh, my number two scene is toward the end of the movie when Jim is chasing the truck that's taking Ryder away. Cause he knows he's going to try to escape. And sure enough, he blows open the door with his gun in hand and jumps into the windshield <laughs> of the car Jim is driving, crashes through it and says, hey, kid, like I just lost it. It was perfection. There's really nothing I could ask for better than the coolest dude on the planet, Rutger Hauer full force ahead jumping through a freaking windshield probably himself let's be honest he probably did that shit himself i don't even know if there was a <laughs> if there was a stunt double for that one but just jumping into the car going hey kid like what an amazing what an amazing moment in the movie it scared the crap out of the character uh, uh of jim and uh you know to be honest he now that i think about it he actually must have done that scene himself where he broke through because I'm pretty sure I remembered either reading or hearing an interview where Rucker Howard broke a tooth in that scene with the shotgun hitting him in the face. So, I mean, talk about like giving yourself to a role. If you hear a dog barking, he is outside of the room. He's just real loud. So sorry about that, folks. Uh, we can only do what we can do, right? So just ignore it. It's ambiance. It's ambiance. And, uh, I'm going to jump into my number one scene. If you don't mind, then we can go to your number one scene. My absolute number one scene uh, in this movie, hands down, I've watched the movie four or five times at this point, is the diner scene. After he goes through that whole ordeal where the cops get shot, where he almost blows his own brains out, he's defeated. He walks into a diner. He sits down and asks for coffee. He's he looks defeated. He's covered in dirt and blood and God knows what else. He sits down. He has his face covered and he's sitting there alone. And then Ryder walks in, sits down at the table and the look of excitement and anger and fear and everything just converges on C. Thomas Howell's face. Truly like uh, greatly portrayed through every single one of his facial features and then he says, I'll shoot you. I'll kill you if you move. Don't move. So what does Rucker Howard do? He looks under the table. He goes, there are no bullets in that gun. And he's like, you didn't check it, did you? Just just like so manipulative. You don't know if he's telling the truth or not. Then what happens? He goes, well, I have, he goes, I'll shoot first. And he puts his hand under the table. And the moment he brings his hand up to bang it, Jim starts shooting. Jim Halsey 
believed that that gun was full and he starts shooting and nothing comes out and the look on Ryder's face like he's trying to stifle back laughter has to be one of the coolest scenes <laughs> I mean granted you're not supposed to be rooting for the bad guy obviously we're not rooting for him we're rooting for Jim to win but my god is that scene perfection to me it's the be- it's the best scene in the movie. I could literally just watch that scene over and over again and enjoy myself. It's a great scene. Yeah. It would probably be my number one also, but it would be a tie with that and um the scene where Nash is tied to the truck and um Jim has to talk to um Ryder and convince him not to kill her and Ryder gives him the gun and says, "Kill me, you have a choice, but He really doesn't have a choice. It's the illusion of choice. Yeah, and it's just such a powerful scene, and he's revving up up the engine, and she's being pulled apart, and she's got blood on her wrist, and she's screaming, and everyone's watching, and he's like, um, Jim's so emotional, and like begging him not to, and meanwhile, um, Ryder's just like, kill me, kid, kill me, you know, do it. And he can, and he just rips her apart. And again, happens off screen. You don't see it, but it's just the illusion in your mind. It's just a brutal, horrible scene and fantastic at the same time. Like, awesome scene. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and again, just to come back to that scene, like, you feel for everyone involved. You feel bad for the cops who, who literally can't do anything. Nope. You, you obviously feel terrible for Nash. Mm-hmm. Thought she was going to be, I'll be just fine later on when she's yeah. helping Jim. Yeah, she's just a girl who wanted to help him. That yeah. she be- she was the only person who believed him. Yeah, and she knew something was up. And yeah, yeah, it's a it's a brutal scene to watch. She saves, she's likable. Yeah, she's likable. She saves his life when the sheriff, one of the the I believe it was a sheriff, wanted to kill him when yeah. she when he thought he killed his, the other cops. Yeah, you know when he actually was going to basically use the excuse like grab my gun yeah you know so that i can yeah, kill wipe you. off the spit on wipe my wrist the spit on the wrist yeah, so everyone yeah. looks like you're going to grab my gun yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a it's a dark scene because you really do think it might be the end for this character and yeah, then uh yeah. you Nash know shows and up and saves the, saves she the saves day. the day and it, it gets her killed and it gets her killed yeah, just yeah. by knowing him which is in a way the the theme of the movie because of him, everyone that's come into contact with him like kind of di- like dies. Yeah, you know, everyone around him dies. Anyone he, he, he in a way is like the catalyst of all these people's deaths. Yeah. You know? To to bring it back to the Dark Knight, it is funny because it does remind me very much of um, uh, the Joker trying to corrupt the Batman. You know, mm-hmm. kill me. Kill these people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. kill these, you know, uh, criminals and stuff like that. See what happens. I want you to become corrupt like me is, is you or, know. Or even like the Joker when he tries to give the people on the, the boat the choice to kill the other group of people, you know. Yeah, and they just want to. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a good manipulation, and I think he plays that. Uh, yeah. Well, he would, in the movie, he probably would have killed all of them anyway. You don't really know, though. And uh, Rucker Howard's character would have, she would have died anyway, you yeah. know? So it doesn't matter if Jim killed him or not. Well, yeah, I mean, he, it, again, it's the illusion of choice. If yeah, you, you're going to give him the choice to kill you, but. but <laughs> he's going to put his ha- uh, hand off the thing and then she's going to pull apart. Yeah, so he would have killed him. Mm-hmm. He would have killed Ryder, mm-hmm. which still would have led to her death. So yeah. he would have killed two people. Yeah. As opposed to just not killing him and she would have died. And then and she ends up dying anyway, yes. yeah. You know, so it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. You know? 
the choice would have been pointless, you know? Yeah. So it's a it's a great movie, guys. Uh, we really recommend it. In case you couldn't tell by our by our overwhelmingly positive reviews, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much gonna be it for us, guys. Um, you know, we loved having you. This was our first episode, and we hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, forgive us for any little, <laughs> like we said, ambiance noises, but um, it's real life, folks. So uh, we are uh, again. I'm O, and this is L. You can find me at O the Horror on Instagram, double O double H the Horror. And you can find me on Instagram at Steel Lens Cinema. Okay, and uh, this has been Cutthroat Cinema. Thank you.